Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Hey, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, out of Ashes Ministries. How are you? I hope that you're doing well. I hope that your week is going well. If you're listening to this on Hebrew Nation Online, it is uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Sunday, (laughs) whichever time you are are catching it. And uh, so I hope that your week is going well, your Shabbat is going well. And um, and that you enjoyed a great Hanukkah, and uh, that everything is moving in the right direction. I hope that the Father is is uh, is speaking to you and growing you and challenging you. Uh, and uh, we certainly pray for every one of you each and every week. We love you guys, and we're so appreciative of our Image Bearers Radio and our Hebrew Nation family. I just want to say, uh, as we usually do, if you're first time catching this, uh, then hey, my name is Joe. I'm so pumped to be able to meet you and so glad that you stopped by for a few moments to check out what Image Bearers Radio is all about. Uh, this is radio show that I was just, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity uh, from Hebrew Nation. Hebrew Nation. And uh, I have a passion for the, the body of Messiah actually becoming the, you know, becoming to, to look like and carry the mantle of bearing the image of Hashem. Uh, showing God to the world uh, in our acts and our words and our deeds and how we think. And uh, so that's what this radio show is all about. And so we, uh, we deal with some uh, hopefully really interesting topics and interesting ways of thinking about things. And uh, if you are a, uh, a longtime listener, we've been going a little over a year. And uh, so I just thank you guys for sticking with us. I know we have wonderful, wonderful people who listen from all over the country, uh, even other parts of the world, and that is just super cool. I, I, I'm always amazed at this opportunity that we have, and so I just want to say thanks. Whether you're listening for the first time or the, the hundredth time, thank you. Well, we don't have a hundred episodes, but you know what I mean. Uh, long term, thank you guys so much, and thanks for sharing the episodes and uh, checking out the podcast and all that kind of good stuff. We appreciate it very, very, very much. Um, just a reminder, if you are out there and you don't have a fellowship, um, I know how how challenging that can be. And so we invite you uh, every Saturday morning, every Shabbat at 10 a.m. Central Time, uh, we live stream our services. And so you can find us on our website at outofashesministries.org. We go live there. And then we also simulcast to Facebook where you can get involved in the comments and uh, tell us where you're from, introduce yourself. We'd love to, to hear from you, uh, just, to, you know, just to get to know you. And uh, we also, uh, if you like to throw stuff up on the big screen in your house or your TV, we also live stream to YouTube where there's not a comment section necessarily. Uh, it's not monitored and stuff, but you can watch us there if you'd like. Uh, some people do both. Some people like one way or the other. We just, we're trying to provide uh, whatever's comfortable for you. So um, we invite you to join us and hang out. If you have a fellowship, but maybe they meet at a different time, and you're just looking for uh, someone else to join, hey, we're all the body, and uh, we're, we're all doing our best to, to bear Hashem's image, and so um, we just appreciate you guys so much, and for all the feedback and support, 
What an awesome, awesome community we have the privilege of being a part of. So uh, that's my little intro spiel. And uh, so last week we... the story of Joseph and uh, and we got through most of it and this week I want to spend some time on one particular little passage out of the whole story uh, because it's been incredibly powerful for me and I think it can be incredibly encouraging uh, for for all of you out there uh, and so let's go to the father and ask his blessing on our time together and then uh, we will jump back into the story of Joseph father in heaven we are more grateful than we could ever say. And we are just so thankful that you allow us this time together. We pray that it would be fruitful and that what we learn today would be practiced in our everyday lives as we seek you in wisdom to bear your image better. So we, uh, as we said last week, we uh, introed and, and kind of talked about some things in the story of Joseph. Now, the, the story of Joseph, as I said last week, um, has been said to be the longest uh, narrative about one person in all of the, the Torah, uh, possibly all of, all of the Tanakh. Uh, King David may rival that. But um, longest narrative about a single person, all the Torah for sure. And... Um, there, there are more. There, there are more layers to the story of Joseph than 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 I know. I'm sure. Uh, there's some brilliant people who have done some excellent work on the story of Joseph and making connections and connecting dots, especially to Messiah, uh, especially to Yeshua and and Joseph being a, a picture uh, of of Messiah to come. And just uh, the story is so deep and so dense um, that it really does. Uh, deserve a, a lot more time than we're going to spend on it. But d- just a few things that I wanted to bring out that I think are really uh, especially important for us as the body of Messiah, for us as, uh, as you know, Torah-pursuant people um, who are, are trying to serve God in a, a, a more full and deep way. Um, this, the story of Joseph really needs to speak to us in, in some really profound and unique ways. And I, I think that it has that ability if we will let it. And um, so last week we, we, we talked about, you know, the, the Judah story kind of sandwiched in the middle of the beginning of Joseph's story and what it was doing there. Um, you know, Judah uh, knew, he knew obviously that he was supposed to give Tamar to his youngest son. He knew that. He says it in, in, the, in the, the passage where, where he's confronted by Tamar. Um, he knew that, and yet it was not until he experienced this um, this experience with Tamar that he did that it it really solidified in his life. It really became the the thing that defined him, in my opinion. Um, knowledge, head knowledge, is one thing, but when that knowledge is married together with life experience, and and we see it, it becomes a part of it becomes who we are, not just something we know. 
and not just something we do, but, but who we are. Um, how many of you, you know, your, your job, especially guys, are, are, are more prone to this, I think? And I speak that as a guy. If I'm wrong, forgive me, correct me. But, um, you know, men tend to be, we tend to be what we do. Um, you know, if you're a welder, that, that's who you are. Uh, it's not just something you do and, you know, then you do something. Men are not good at, at separating, right, and being, uh, being kind of multitaskers. Uh, we're not good at being multipurpose necessarily. So um, if we're going to devote the majority of our lives to a thing like an occupation, then that's going to be the thing that identifies us. That's going to be who we are. It's not just something we know about and we tinker with. It's who it becomes our identity. And and so we talked last week about, you know, this kind of this head knowledge thing and and how head knowledge is good. We ought to pursue knowledge. We ought to seek knowledge at every at every pass. And yet we can't hide we can't hide in knowledge and not go out and experience life and run in run into the world and and and, and bump against it and and let that knowledge be be uh, concretized in us. That is a word, uh, con- you know, being made concrete in us as a part of who we are through experience. And and so and that's when we really we really begin to grow and we really begin to mature. Is when we take the things that we've learned and studied, or when we take the things that we've that's been revealed to us in prayer, and and those things are shaped and refined and 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 solidified in us through experience. So the idea that we, you know, we ask for wisdom, we pray for wisdom. And I remember a big joke when I was, you know, in my youth youth ministry days and you know everybody said, "Oh, don't pray for wisdom. Don't I mean, don't pray for patience. I'm sorry. Don't pray don't pray for patience because what's going to happen when you pray for patience? God is going to put you in circumstances where you have to learn to be patient, right? And that is that is developing wisdom. Wisdom is not some some, you know, dust or some Thing that God pours on us from His wisdom vat up in heaven, uh, wisdom is something that we only learn with the, through the marriage of knowledge and experience. And I know that's super elementary, but a lot of us are not doing a real good job at walking in wisdom. Let's just be honest: We're, we don't do a good job at walking in wisdom. And so, during this season of our lives, where where the world is, where America is, where our uh, this movement is the, where the body of Messiah as a whole is, and that includes, you know, Christianity, wh- whoever would consider themselves a, a follower of Yeshua uh, and, and a lover of Hashem, period. Um, wh- wherever we are, we need wisdom now at, at a premium. We need wisdom so, so bad. Um, and we need to learn to do that. As we talked about last week, you know, God is not really evoked much in Joseph's story until towards the end. And, and, and the reason, I think the reason for that is to put a spotlight on Joseph's process that yes, Hashem is with him. Obviously. Yes, Hashem is working things in the background. Obviously. It's not like God has left and we're like, well, Joseph, figure it out for yourself. I'm that's not what I'm, what I'm even trying to say. What I'm saying is that the the story is focused on Joseph specifically, because I think that 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 God wants us to see his development, his growth, his maturity and wisdom. Because I think it's it's something that if we're not careful, we'll ask God for things to to give us wisdom, give us your nature, you know, uh, less of me and more of you, and we say all these things, and and yet maybe we expect in the back of our mind, we expect God to just snap his fingers and zap us with less of us and more of him or zap us with patience or zap us with wisdom. And, and it, that's just not the way that God works. 
God works his character, his personality, his presence into us through our life experiences. And and now God can touch in a moment and give us wisdom. God can touch in a moment and endow us with patience. But those moments are very few and far between because God wants to, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us and through life experiences, through good times, through bad, through easy times, through hard times, through deception and betrayal, and through the healing process, God wants us to know that he is with us and he is changing us and transforming us into the us that he wants us to be through all of those things. So this this story of Joseph is is really important to me, not just because I'm his namesake, but because of, of what it, it teaches us. And then as we look at Messiah, the, the, the scripture actually says that, you know, Yeshua grew in wisdom and in stature with God and man. Just, just think about that. Just think about that statement for a little while, that, that our Messiah, the, the reason that we're even here, the one who, who made a way for us to even be in this season of our lives, to, to even know that, that, that this that relationship with God can be a thing. The one that we are to model our lives after and the one that we are to cling to with everything that we have to teach us uh, about, about restoration and redemption and, and God himself, he grew in stature with God and with man. Does that mean he studied a lot? Yeah, absolutely he studied a lot. He, he, he studied all the time, I'd have to believe. But it also means that he, exp- he, he didn't just stay holed up studying somewhere. He, he went out and he experienced life and he allowed life to be filtered through what he was learning and he allowed his own, his own self to grow and, and, and grow into wisdom, to wisdom and stature. And when I think about that word stature, I think about Psalm 1. We've talked about Psalm 1 a lot. It's my favorite. To be that tree that's planted, right? To, to be that tree that is planted by rivers of water. Stature, that immovable, unshakable, you, you know, you may, you may blow in the wind a little bit. You may lose some leaves from time to time, you know, maybe here or there. But, but Psalm 1 even says that whose leaf does not wither and, and, and will, will bear fruit in season. That, that, that's who I want us to be. That's what my heart's cry is for the body of Messiah to be, is to be a, a forest of trees that provide a refuge for those who aren't rooted, for those who aren't grounded, for those who, who don't know how to live in wisdom. But in order for us to teach other people how to do that and to live that for other people, we have to do a better job of being people of wisdom. And so in our political climate and, and with the, the pandemic and what all you think about all that kind of stuff, I'm not getting into conspiracies and, and all that, you know, and, and all, anyway, that's, that's not what this show's about. But in this time, Instead of being one that always, you know, that is always looking for a, a you know, a, a problem for every solution, what about we be people of wisdom? What about we be people of stature that cause some, some order and some, some peace, some shalom, some wholeness, some completeness in the world around us, wherever Hashem has given us uh, that circle of influence? So I want to focus today on, uh, on one passage particular of, of the Joseph story that is absolutely... Um, it just boggles my mind. It, it, I've wrestled with it. Um, I, I've, I've audited myself with it, and I want to ask you to do the same things kind of as we talk about it and discuss it today. Um, so 
we have Judah. We'll kind of pick back up on Judah, right? Uh, Judah comes back and plays a really, really prominent part at the at towards the end of this this story um, in chapter forty four. And, and I have to believe that this is because of the connection that we made last week. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go check that out. Uh, also, check out Rabbi Foreman has done some really great work on the Judah and Tamar story. Check that out. Um, but this this idea in chapter forty four. Um, this is after Benjamin, you know, is accused of of, of thievery and, and all this stuff. Um, uh, verse, uh, let's go to verse uh, fourteen of chapter forty four. It says, "When Judah arrived with his brothers to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell on the ground before him. For him, and Joseph said to them, What is this deed you have done? Do you not realize that a man uh, like me practices divination? Which is a we won't get off on that rabbit trail, but holy smokes, what an incredible um, thing to wrestle with." Verse 16, so Judah said, now who is the Basar, who is the firstborn? It's Reuben, right? So we would think that Reuben probably should be the one to kind of take the bull by the horns and, and work this stuff out. But Judah steps up and Judah says, what can we say, my Lord? How can we speak and how can we justify ourselves? God has uncovered the sin of your servants. Here we are, we are ready to be slaves to my Lord, both we and the one in whose hand the goblet was found. But he replied, it would be sacrilegious for me to do this. The man in whose possession the goblet, the goblet was found, only he shall be my slave. As for you, go up in peace to your father. So Judah steps up first in, in that in verse 14, 15 of chapter 44. Why does Judah step forward? I believe personally it's because of the issue with Tamar. I believe it's because he... He recognized, we talked last week about the brothers, uh, Judah concocts the story of just selling Joseph and then we'll do the coat and the goat thing, right? The goat's blood and the goats and coats. And, um, and, and then we'll take them to father. And what do they say when they get to their father? We talked about, they say, identify these. And then it says that Yaakov recognized those two words, identify and recognize, the same Hebrew word. And then it immediately goes to Joseph and his dreams. And then the, the story is like interrupted with Judah. And Tamar and this whole, you know, Tamar tale. And, and at the end of that story, what does it say? Tamar says, the, the, man, the man I'm pregnant by, these things belong to, the signet ring, the staff, and the cloak. And he says, she says, identify these. Same word. And Judah recognized them. Same, same phrases. Like, it's the same thing. It's the same story. It's so crazy. Awesome. And I believe because of that, it's a major, it's the major and defining turning point in Judah's life. And so um, verse 18, he steps forward again and he approached him and said, if you please, my Lord, may a servant speak a word in your Lord's ears and let not your anger flare up against your servant for you are like unto Pharaoh. My Lord has asked his servant saying, have you father a brother? And he, he goes to, so, and so Judah is pleading, he's pleading and he is in a, such a humble and repentant state why Judah and none of the other brothers? I mean, we all know enough about you know the the brothers, the brothers of Israel to know that they are um, they're a ragtag, raucous group of brothers. I mean, they are, you know, they. I mean, they're they're just um, none of them are scared. You know, they're not they're not you know poor. They're not these kind of guys. These kind of men. Uh, that will just kind of sit back and and not do anything. They're men of action. That sometimes the wrong action, but they're men of action, uh, and they're tough and they're upfront. And yet, ev- all the other brothers kind of sink back in the background. And Judah steps up. I believe it's because of that defining moment. And and again, Judah knew what he had done was wrong. 
He knew what he had done was wrong with Tamar by not giving her to his youngest son, but yet it didn't become real to him until, until Hashem took him through the experience, and then he gained this wisdom. This knowledge and this experience gave him the wisdom now in chapter 44 to be able to step up to who he, he believes is you know, the, some Egyptian viceroy and, and plead and plead. He is, he, is, he is standing in the role of the Zadik at this point for his family, of the righteous one, of the, the one that would, that would bring atonement and, and forgiveness for his family. He is stepping up in that role, and, and it's because of that, that experience and that wisdom that, that he gained, that wisdom that would reshape the rest of his life. And then so we go into um, verse chapter 45, and this is the, the part of the, the story that I really want to focus on. And so chapter 45, verse 1 now Yosef could not restrain himself in the presence of all who stood before him, so he called out, Remove everyone from before me. Thus no one remained with him when Yosef made himself known to his brothers. Again, like I said, probably for me, besides the, the, the crucifixion resurrection, um, the most dynamic and passionate story in all of Scripture. I'm sure you, I'm sure you have your favorites. This one's mine. Um, and so verse 2 says, He crowed in a loud, loud voice, Egypt heard and Pharaoh's household heard. And Yosef said to his brothers, I am Yosef, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer because they were left disconcerted before him. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me if you please. And they came close. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother. It is me whom you sold into Egypt. Now again, we're going to stop right there just for a minute. Again, Joseph could have done this at the when when the brothers first came, when the brothers first came and and bowed down back in the last parsha, right? Um, and the and and, and Miketz, uh, I think it's a Miketz when they first come, in uh, chapter forty-two, right? Chapter forty-two in in Miketz, uh, when the brothers first come, Joseph could have said, "Hey, get everybody out of here," because it says he recognized them, right? But he made himself a stranger to them. He could have done this, and, and what, would have the, what would have the brother's reaction been if he'd have done it then? They would have been amazed. Do you think they would have been disconcerted? you think they would have been like, uh-oh. I mean, what would their reaction have been if Joseph would have just said, you know, hey, guys, it's me. Um, holy cow. I mean, talk about a brown pants moment, right? <laughs> and, and would they have repented at that point? Probably, maybe, because all along they knew they knew what they had done to, to Joseph, who they assume is dead at this point. They knew what they had done was wrong. They even mention it several times during this, this whole convoluted you know, thing that Joseph puts them through. They say over and over, this is because of, you know, this is because of, of our brother's blood. This is, they know what they have done is wrong. But they, they knew it, and it still hadn't changed them. And so this, this the, the, the thing that Joseph puts them through and makes them go through with Benjamin and putting Simeon in jail and all these things is for them to replay the story because head knowledge has to be connected to experience for it to become wisdom. Head knowledge on its own, if it's not connected to experience, will never become wisdom. It will never become an active part of our lives. It will never become who we are. It'll just be something that floats on the top of our existence. It'll, it'll be like, like, so down in the south, in Louisiana, we cook gumbo, right? And if you, if you, you make your own roux, it's just 
oil and flour and you brown it and you brown it and you brown it and you, you take care of it like a baby. You watch it and you brown it. Because if you let it go too long or too hot, it, it burns. So you right, right kind of pan and you have all this stuff and you make your own roux. And then, and then when you, you add your water and your stock or whatever and you, you make your gumbo, all that grease floats to the top. It, it served a purpose for one point, but it's not really good anymore. So you, you kind of scrape it off, right? Knowledge, we, we have such a, 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 an obsession with knowledge in the Hebrew pursuit, you know, the Hebrew roots community, Messianic, such a pursuit of knowledge. And yet, do we let that knowledge work through our experience to change who we really are? Do we let knowledge be transformed into wisdom? Or is it just like that grease that just kind of floats on the top of our lives? And we have a whole head, we have a, a brain full of wrinkles. And yet, does it make us more like Him? Does it make us better image bearers? That's what we're seeking to find. That's what we're looking for, using that wisdom. We'll be right back right after the break. All right, guys, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. Hey, thank you for sticking with us, and uh, I hope this conversation is encouraging and a little bit challenging, um, and uh, I hope it's something for you to chew on kind of the next next week. Um, so we're in chapter 45. Judah has been the one that, that has stepped up um, because I, I can't stress this enough, and I, I don't... Maybe I don't have the skill or the words, the vocabulary or whatever to, to say, or maybe it just hadn't been worked out in me enough to, to push it, to push this point um, uh, that, that, listen, I, I love, I love, I love studying the temple. I love, I love studying what the floor looked like. And, and I love having Joe Good and Enrico Cortez and Edgar Ramos and, and so many of these guys that Hashem has put in my path and that that I glean from and I learn from and I love I love finding out how many cisterns there were and how many cubic you know uh, centimeters of water they held or meters they of water they held and and you know how the drains were run and I love learning all that stuff I love it it's like a drug to me but what is the purpose of it if it doesn't impact how I live my life and and it it can't impact how I live my life unless I am put in situations where those facts and figures become real to me in my everyday life. And so that, that's what the, these couple of episodes are, are all about. So chapter 45, Joseph is revealing himself. He runs all the Egyptians out of the room, and he reveals himself. And verse 5 is it begins one of the most challenging portions personally for me in Scripture. He says, and now be not distressed, nor reproach yourselves for having sold me here. For it was to be a provider that God sent me ahead of you. For this has been two years or two of the hungry years in the midst of the land. And there are yet five years in which there shall be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse seven, thus God has sent me ahead of you 
to ensure your survival in the land and to sustain you for a momentous deliverance. And now, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, and ruler throughout the entire land of Egypt. Hurry, go to my father and say to him, So said your son Joseph, God has made me master of all of Egypt. Come down and do not delay. And you will reside in the land of Goshen, and you will be near to me, you, your sons, your grandchildren, your flock, your cattle, and all that is yours. And I will provide for you there. For there will be five more years of famine, so you do not become destitute, you and your household, and all that is yours. And behold, verse 12, your eyes see as do the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth speaking to you. Therefore, tell my father that all of my glory in Egypt, that all of you saw, but you must hurry and bring my father down. And he fell on Benjamin's neck and wept. This, when we look at Joseph's life and we, we think about how our, how our lives in some way parallel Joseph's, we know, for, we know for a fact, not only does Scripture say it, but we, it's evidenced in all of our lives that we all have gifts and talents. We all have been given uh, a, a measure of a faith, the Scripture calls it, but we've all been given a, a skill set, whether it's something that we are, are naturally gifted at or, or whether it's something that we have, it's been developed in us. We all have a skill set. I'm talking about spiritually and, and well it's all spiritual but um what we would think as spiritual gifts um i believe that we all have a a a, a skill set um some of you are very very discerning some of you are very much um administrative and that is a spiritual gift um some of you are gifted in healing and 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 care uh you know like pastoral care kind of thing we would call it uh, there every one of us has, has a gift um, we tend to think of other things as not spiritual. You know, you're a tradesman, like I mentioned last week, or you know, you have other some kind of skill or training, or you're a musician or whatever. We think of those things maybe as not spiritual, quote unquote. But it, they all come from Hashem. They all come from the Father, whether directly or whether through training or whatever. That we they all come from Him. Joseph was one that had such skill. He was an interpreter of dreams. He was a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams. And, and like Joseph, all of us go through a period of our lives, probably when we're younger, when we're really naive and really zealous and maybe a little arrogant and obnoxious. That's just part of being young, right? That's part of being young. Every, every adolescent going, you know, going through puberty and, and finding, finding where they are in life and, and starting to get their their own identity and get their feet under them. They all go through that. We all go through that arrogant, obnoxious stage, right? So, so can we lay off of Joseph a little bit and realize that you and I were there too, right? You and I were there too. I grew up in, in music and my, my dad used to always tell me I was a saxophone player trained in college and all that. And my dad, you know, would always tell me even as young, young kid learning to play and playing music in bar rooms and stuff. I've talked about all that, but he would always say, you know, son, don't ever toot your own horn. Let somebody else do it for you. And, and what, was, what wisdom that is, what valuable wisdom that is. And had I not had that wisdom, um, I would have made a lot more enemies than I probably already did naturally. But this, the, the thing about growing in wisdom and growing in stature, growing in maturity um, with the people around us, Joseph, 
was, was obnoxious and arrogant. Right, okay, great. So is everybody else. When you put him up against his brothers, they were pretty obnoxious and arrogant too. But Joseph is the one who, gets, who, who is the victim here, right? And he's, he's not only sold and ripped away from his family and his land, he's sold and then gets to be in this beautiful palace in Potiphar's house. Wow. And at that point, Joseph might have thought, vindication. At least, I, you know, look, look, you guys tried to, you know, do this, but look where I ended up. And then he's done wrong again. And he spends time in prison. And, and all of this, and through all of this story, you don't hear about God so much. And, and so is that a reflection of kind of where Joseph is, thinking like, well, it was, what is going on? Where is God? Has God left me? And, he, and he, he makes friends with this butler, and, and he interprets his dream, and the cupbearer goes, yes, I mean, you're awesome. And Joseph says, just remember me and, and mention me. And he doesn't. Until Pharaoh's dream. And then he's elevated to this position of second in command under Pharaoh, right, over the whole empire. And his brothers come. And when Joseph has, has taken them through the story again, he has made them relive what they did to him. Again, not for vengeance sake. This is not revenge. This is Joseph understanding that what he went through in his life is what I'm, I'm hopefully encouraging you to think about in these couple of episodes, that we can know all the right and wrong answers. We can have a lot of knowledge. But until we live through some things where that knowledge becomes a part of who we are, we don't have wisdom. And we can't have true repentance. We can't have true repentance unless we really see how our transgressions have hurt the heart of God and hurt other people. True repentance really can't come until we've been broken until we have a, a, an actualization, a, a, an actual realization of how our, our evil deeds towards Hashem and towards other people have affected them because it becomes real to us. If we don't have that experience, uh, that repentant experience, when we understand the weight of our transgression, then our repentance is surface. It's, a, it's our get-out-of-jail-free card. Or maybe we desire to be forgiven, but we don't understand the fullness of really... We don't have the appreciation of forgiveness when we don't understand the, 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 the length and breadth of the damage that our transgression has done. And, and Joseph understands that. And, and for me, that's why these brothers, he takes them through, through the thing with Benjamin and, and all this stuff, the, this whole concocted mess. It's brilliant on his part because he is, he is trying to provide the brothers the experience they need to, to really solidify in them what the, the power of what they did. And it brings true, deep, meaningful repentance. And then Joseph is able somehow to stand before his brothers and say, listen, guys, don't be mad at yourselves. Don't, be, don't reproach yourselves, the stone says. It's not you who sent me here. Uh, excuse me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. They're the reason this whole thing is a thing. You know, this, they're the reason that this, this, whole, uh, this whole 
cacophony of events in in Joseph's life, we even had to come to even had to be a thing. They're the reason. And he says, "No, no, no. It's it's not you. I I've come to a place where I understand that it, it was all Hashem's plan. It was all directed by Hashem." And you can feel in, and I know we, we've been through situations and, and I, I've prayed with people and counseled with people. I've been through those own, my own situations where I've looked back at hard times and I've said like, oh, that was God. You know, it was God that led me through that for this purpose or whatever. But there still is some uh, animosity towards people maybe, or there's some bitterness or there's some lack of forgiveness you know what i'm you know what i'm talking about maybe you went through a really hard time by the hands of someone else and you know that it was god that brought you through it you you know that you know the the good that it has produced in your life and the reasons maybe why you went through that but do you still hold a little animosity to the people that did it or are or, or is there little a little lack of forgiveness there still where you're still you're still protected and guarded where you still hold you know you still have those walls up that say well I'm I'm I may have gone through it once but I'm never going to let somebody put me through that again and Joseph doesn't seem to have that he he doesn't seem to have that that he is fully surrendered at this point to the understanding that Hashem Hashem's got it none of this took him by surprise none of this took God by surprise he didn't. He didn't. He didn't look down one day and go, "Wait, where's Joseph? What? Wait, they they did what? They saw? Oh my goodness! What are we gonna do about this?" <laughs> and God doesn't do that with anything in our lives. God, you might wake up one morning and and have and you might not even know it yet. Be ready. You might be facing a terrible day, a day of terrible events, right? And at the end of the day, you may think like, "God, oh, I wasn't expecting that when I woke up this morning." And we may think God feels the same way. Like, well, God, did that catch you off guard too? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Joseph is able to say some of the most beautiful and profound words in all of Scripture. I'm talking about from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, in my opinion. Do not be angry with yourselves and do not reproach yourselves for having sold me here. It was to be a provider that God sent me ahead of you. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival in the land and to sustain you for a momentous deliverance. And now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Particularly, I want to talk about, about where we are in, the, in this movement, in, uh, if you know, we want to call it that, in the, in the, the Torah community, Torah pursuant, I like to say community. What what are what are we doing? What are we doing? How are we affecting the world around us? How are we being an impact on the world around us? We we may look sometimes we may look at the churches we came from or churches that are around us and they're giving money to missionaries and they're feeding people in America and other countries and whatever. And some of us are angry about that and some of us resent that. Because we're so hurt and broken over our, our church hurt and our, our experiences. But what are we doing? What are we doing to impact the world around us? We, we claim, we claim to have come out of her. Babylon, as if the church is Babylon. I don't believe that at all. At one point I did. I don't believe that at all. 
Are there some Babylonian aspects in church? Yeah, sure. But there's some Babylonian aspects in our lives too. So let's not fool ourselves and be so arrogant as to think that we've got it all figured out. The Jews have it wrong and the church has it wrong. Conveniently, we're the only ones who have it right. Please, are we so arrogant as to believe that that's that's really the way it is? If we do, then God help us because we're we're way we're way further off than we even imagine. But if it's true, and I believe it is, if it's true that God called us out of where we were, wherever that may have been, and gave us such a beautiful thing, a beautiful truth as his Torah, his Moedim, an understanding of his temple, an understanding of his his laws, an understanding of his people Israel, and, and a love for the land of Israel, and a love for the Jewish people, and a and a and a, a, a more complete understanding of of his word and his character, and he's revealed to us his holy language, Lashan Kodesh, and and all these beautiful, deep, rich things that he's given us. What are we doing with it? Now, I know as well as some of you that this journey has been hell on wheels. This journey for most of us is not an easy one. But some of that, I would dare say most of it, is because we're young Joseph. <laughs> you and I are reliving Joseph's story. That I believe, I believe with all my heart, that the, the call of God that, that he has given us back to Torah, because I've said this before, I went to church for years with people that prayed more than I did. They studied more than I did. They they had a heart after God far, far more passionately than I than mine was. And yet they're still sitting on a church pew and I'm here. And for whatever reason, God spoke to me things that he didn't speak to them. Or I was able to hear things that they weren't able, however that works, I don't know, I'm not God. And this journey can be rough. It can be rough. But are, have we been like a young Joseph that we have a revelation? Joseph had a dream. We have a revelation of Torah and of truth. And all of a sudden we start flaunting it in front of our friends and family and everybody we come across. And we berate people over Christmas and we badger people over Easter and eating pork and, and well, that's really all we worry about and, and not worshiping on Saturday Sabbath. But we, are, we, look, we look to them like a Joseph. Do you understand why the brothers were so angry with him? Have, have we destroyed family relationships have we destroyed friendships? I have. 12, 13, 14 years ago, I destroyed family and friendships, family relationships and friendships that today I am trying to resolve. A decade later, I'm asking for, for forgiveness. I'm repenting to those people. And to them, I'm sure I looked like a young Joseph. Who is this fool, this dreamer, this this truther that has all the answers now and is just here to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong. Do you think Joseph didn't love his brothers and sisters and his, his brothers, and his mom and his dad? Absolutely he did. And I know that a lot of times we 
act the way we act because it's it is out of uh, out of out of a, a heart of love. We we want the best for people around us. I get it. I, I did when when I was correcting my entire family about why we don't celebrate Christmas, I was doing it out of what I felt like was love. And and I want the best for them. I want them to experience all that God has for them. But to them that I look like Joseph, to them that I look like a, a dreamer, a crazy, some some favored child of the king that that thinks he's better than everybody else, is that what I look like? Because I tell you what, now looking back on it, that's what that's exactly what I think I looked like. That's what I felt like. And so maybe this journey into Torah is not hard because of because Torah is hard and society doesn't understand, but maybe maybe most of it's hard because of the way we approach it and the the attitude that we have towards people that are not on the same journey. I know this has turned into kind of a, a hard thing, but I think we need to hear it because I think the promise for us is is Genesis 45. I think that's the goal. That is the that's the that's the end goal. I think Hashem has called us, and if you talk to people like 2007, 2009 is when they started to wake up to this stuff. It's not an accident. It, it's, not, it's not coincidence that people contact me almost every week going like, hey, I didn't think there was anybody like me that started celebrating Sabbath. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out? It's not a coincidence that, that, that this is happening all over the world. But for what end? What is the goal? What is Hashem's goal? I am convinced, and I have been for years, that it's Genesis 45. It's so we can learn and grow through wisdom. We can become that Psalm 1 tree, not arrogantly, not boastful, but humbly confident of who we are and who our God is, so that when people's lives around us are falling apart, when people are about to walk away from their faith altogether because they're, they're so sick of all the, the, the stuff they're being told and how it doesn't line up with Scripture or whatever, when, when people's families are falling apart, when, when they don't have enough, enough money at the end of the month, when, when life is destroying people around them, that we can stand and say, hey, God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you. The church didn't kick me out. My family didn't turn their backs on me. This was all this was all in the plan so that I can provide you safety now. So that I can provide you a remnant. And so that I can I can provide for you a monumentous deliverance. It it's not you. It's not you that turned your back. It's not you that kicked me out. It's not you that that's separated. It's not you. It was all, it was all God having to do this. And if we understand this call, and if we understand this, this, this role that we play in what God is really calling, God is not just calling us to learn about Passover and Sukkot. God has not just called us to learn how to cite the new moon for Rosh Chodesh. God has not just called us to learn what the the, the floor tile mosaic looked like on the, in the floor of the Beit HaMikdash. God has not just called us to learn what mikvah really is. God has not just called us to learn that pigs are unclean and that, and that the earth is flat. Or what, If that's the end goal of all this, then there's no point in it. Then we're a, a clanging symbol. 
We're we're a we're a noisy just we're a noisy bunch of nothing. The goal for us, even in being being introduced to Torah and and trained in Torah and the feast and the and all of the, these these things, is so that we can have our own in this generation our own Bereshit forty five moment where we stand before our brothers and and those that we may have destroyed relationships or people that may have walked away from us, and we can say, look, none none of that matters. None, none of that is for anything. This was all orchestrated by Hashem. And I humbly want to walk with you through life. I humbly want to meet you wherever you are, wherever, wherever Hashem has you, even if, it's, even if it's walking before God in a way I don't agree with personally. I want to meet you where you are, and I want to be a strength for you that I needed during a difficult time in my life. There's this phenomenon with those of us that come into this movement that most of us spend a little time in isolation before we find a fellowship. And I think that's a good thing. I think just like Joseph, again, we have to be isolated so that we come to terms with who God is and so that he can teach us humility and wisdom so that when the time comes, we can handle people correctly. The world needs us now more than ever, but he needs a correct, healthy, image-bearing us, not a fringianic, you know, hateful, bitter, unforgiving, hurt us. He needs a healthy, whole, wise, image-bearing us. I hope this is something that you'll take to heart. Pray over, think about. We'll be back next week. Until then... All peace and blessings. Shalom, shalom. 